Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. MWWire.com is the website that you can read all of our stuff, listen to our podcast, everything like that. We are doing week four preview part two. So if you see this in your feed, stop, go back, Matt, correct, and listen as we talked about the Friday games and the first two games on Saturday, which include Toledo, Toledo at San Diego State and Sac State at Colorado State. So if you haven't gotten that far, Please go back and listen to that one first and then come back and listen to us as we begin UNLV at Utah State, which will be a spicy game. Spicy. <laughs> Who would have thought, right? Nobody would have thought. <laughs> For this game, it's going to be, out of all the games this weekend, it's probably the one I'm most looking forward to watch because there's so much intrigue about, you know, who would have ever said, Matt, UNLV Rebels leading the conference in points per game? Who would have thought that? We should probably mention, too, that it kicks off on Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock Pacific, 5 p.m. Mountain Time at Maverick Stadium on CBS Sports Network. And the favored team is UNLV minus three. Road favorite Rebels? When has that ever happened in the past decade? I mean, I'm sure it's happened once or twice. Have they played at New Mexico State recently? (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm actually really interested because I know that I know that Phil Steele keeps track of that stuff. So I'm really interested in seeing. I'm, I'm sort of flipping through it right now as we sort of get into this oh, to see when they have actually now. been in a way favorite. So I, I couldn't tell you exactly which game it was because all that all I have is the the records after the fact. The last time UNLV was a favorite on the road was apparently in 2016. Conference. Game or not conference? They, 
It d- does not say. Oh, it doesn't all it says say? is all it says is they were zero and one. In twenty sixteen. In twenty sixteen, as an away favorite against the spread. Hold on. A second. Oh, oh, oh! I see. Oh, not oh, not their first game, but zero and one away against. Yeah, the they were zero and one in twenty sixteen. Zero and two in twenty fifteen. The last time they won a game as an away favorite against the spread on the road uh, was all the way back in twenty thirteen. Coincidentally, the last time they made a bowl game. I'm betting it might be the UNLV San Jose State game. Yeah, like I said, I don't have that schedule in front of me. So, like, without doing some digging, I couldn't really tell you. Yeah, I'm looking at who they played on the road and who they lost to because that's the only team that makes sense where they would have been a road underdog or excuse me, road favorite. Maybe Idaho because they were FBS at the time. No, that's a home game. Never mind. So, yeah, the bet for if it's 2016 where they were a home favorite or excuse me, road favorite, it would have been San Jose State and they lost 30 to 24. So, that would make the most sense. But this Rebel team, Matt, they're scoring 50 points. Like, okay, Idaho State, whatever. Then they play Cal, 20 to 14. Then they played, uh, who did they play last week and score 50 points North on? Texas. Um, that's right. Te- who was it? North Texas. That's North Texas. My computer beat for some reason. North Texas. So, but then you go to Utah State where they have not looked good as the defending conference champions. They barely... They, Kind of beat UConn. They lose to Alabama, whatever. Then they get their butt kicked by Weaver State, who's a good team, but still, you shouldn't be losing to an FCS opponent. I don't care what you Well, what it wasn't so much that they lost to an FCS opponent. It was that they lost yeah. to an FCS opponent by that much. Yeah, 28 points. And that's a concern. Then also you have the um, – you had Coach Anderson, Blake Anderson, say the press conference this week basically – Logan Bonner's knee is fine, but if he doesn't play well, he's getting the hook. So we could see the Cooper Legat air start quickly if things go south versus UNLV early on. And Cooper Legat hasn't looked great this year. He was fine in the bowl game last year versus Oregon State, but it could have been one of those things, like I mentioned with UNLV, where backup comes in mid-game, plays great just because of adrenaline and all that type of stuff and excitement, and then he cools off. That may or may not be the case, but that probably most – I'd put more money on that happening than – just being that good in the versus Oregon state last year, because he's played a little bit this year and hasn't done anything impressive. So, but I, how, like how shocked are you when you see that the rebels opened up as a road favorite, that's like never happened. So like, maybe they think, I mean, that, yeah, you know, like I said, it's been like five or six years since it's happened even one time. And so it, but at the same time, it's hard to say that they haven't earned it because you know, we, we talk about this every so often. I think we talked about it most prominently with Nevada when they when they beat New Mexico State and um in Texas State in their first two games. Yeah, you know, good teams, teams on the rise beat bad teams convincingly like that. Like that's just sort of an axiom of you know the difference between a team that's sort of middling and a team that might actually be onto something. Yeah. And so you know, when you sort of look at how UNLV has developed, like, yeah, they let the Cal game slip away from them. And Cal might be a pretty decent team, you know, because they, they went to Notre Dame last week and gave the Irish basically all that they could handle, um, you know, and, and diminished or not. That's like still a, a pretty big deal to go on the road to an environment like that to be able to do that. So it wasn't like it was necessarily the same old Rebels. Like, I think that there's plenty of evidence to suggest that this team is actually building towards something. 
you know, we, we talked about like, you know, points per drive in, in some parts of our, our uh, part one of this week's podcast. And I think it's worth noting that UNLV right now, you know, they're in terms of like net points per drive, they're 31st overall in the country, you know, right between yeah. Oklahoma State and oddly enough, Iowa. But this is when you break it down in terms, here. yeah. And then when you break it down in terms of offense and defense, they're in the top 50 by both of those measures. You know, defensive points per drive, they're 46. Offensive points per drive, they're 42nd. So this to this point, it hasn't really been a fluke. You know, they had a little bit of hard luck against the Golden Bears. But other than that, it looks the part of a remade offense. You know, they've been able to replace Charles Williams with Aiden Robbins pretty effectively, I would say. Doug Brunkfeld has played like he looks like the answer at quarterback. You know, they finally got some some worthwhile compliments to Kyle Williams and Ricky White and, and Jeff Weimer and other guys like that. So on paper, Utah State's gonna have a lot on their plate to try and keep up. And you know, obviously, you know, the 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 headline with Bonner is the thing that makes the most news, but this is a team that is also battling injury concerns of its own. Like they yeah, just Lewis lost. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Kyle Van Loon's done for the year. Mm-hmm. With a knee injury, so is defensive. so is Philip Pia, the defensive tackle. That's what I was thinking. Yep, he's out. Mm-hmm. So it it is trending, I think. And again, small sample size, so it's I would say it's it's maybe not too late for Utah State to turn this around. But it is trending toward the kind of season where you know, they got a lot of things to go their way last year, and and won a lot of games with a high degree of difficulty. And regression is is just hitting them hard in a number of different ways. And so that's really, I think, where you have to start looking at this game is, you know, if we want to talk in terms of like the Rebels offense versus the, the Aggies defense, the Aggies really have to find some pressure. You know, they've, they've got to try and, and get pressure on Rumfeld in particular. And I don't know that that's something they're going to be able to do because through three games, they have just one sack last year that's nothing and and oddly enough that sack came against alabama they had zero (laughs) against uconn and they had zero against weber state and to make matter and and it's sort of strange too because it's not like they haven't generated any havoc whatsoever you know in terms of tackles for loss they're actually in the you know second in the conference you know just behind nevada with 23 tfls in three games so it's not like they can't get into the backfield and make life difficult for Robinson from Rumfield, but it's still sort of that open question of, okay, well, you know, we were expecting guys like Daniel Grzesiak and Byron Vaughns to, you know, be able to replace the production that was left behind by guys like Marcus Moore and, and uh, Nick Henninger and other guys like that. To this point, we have not seen that, which I think is, you know, given all the things that have gone wrong, I think that's real easy to overlook. And in my opinion, that's maybe one of the most surprising things that I, that I would not have expected to say a month into the season. And so I think, you know, if, if they're looking for a way to sort of turn it around and keep this game competitive, it's going to start in the trenches against this, against this Rebels offensive line that's playing at a very high level right now. And did you know, so I was looking at their yards per play, So because I know they play Alabama, mm-hmm. Alabama so I kind of skews things. So Weber State actually, they're overall it's five point nine nine yards per play. Alabama was seven point seven six. Weber State 
actually played better relatively than UConn, averaging more yards per play on the ground. Mm-hmm. They've basically the exact same place every game. And so, like, there's a lot going on, but I just thought that was interesting. I figured, oh, maybe UConn did better, but out Weber State clearly did, like, 0.15 yards better. But it's still unique to see an FCS team outgain you compared to an FBS team. But the team, yeah. like, the points, the defense isn't there because give 35 to Weber State – and wasn't the seven – it's both sides of the ball, offense and defense. They brought out Laga in both Alabama and Weber State. Alabama, different reason than Weber State, obviously. But they didn't mm-hmm. score – they haven't scored an offensive touchdown since week one, dude. It's David scored an offensive it's, touchdown since August. It's not great. I know the last Devin Tompkins, clearly. But we thought guys like Fred McGriff would be good. Um, was it Stephen Cox? Or Justin Griff, sorry, Fred. I'm thinking the old base, the Atlanta Brave third baseman or first baseman, whatever it was. Or the uh, was it Carl? Was it he did videos he did to learn how to play defense? Oh, yeah, <laughs> his infomercials. Crap, I can't think of it, but Fred McGriff, sorry, the crime dog, that guy. No, but Cobb's coming in from Maryland, uh, McGriff coming back, and it's just you're right, the regression's going as clearly the opposite from last year, where there was concerns last year where. I don't want to say they were lucky getting stuff done last year, but they were in situations they were able to get well, out. They kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that they were lucky, but you know, this was something that, that I think Bill Connolly especially pointed out in terms of like why SP plus was sort of warm on them, even by season's end. And it was because they got a lot of explosive plays in really critical situations. So like third downs and stuff like that. And so I think if you're looking for one number, that maybe describes the difference between last year and this year, their success rate on third and fourth downs. And this is, yeah. this is from Parker Fleming at stats war on Twitter on offense. The Aggies are 127th nationally Yikes. in third and fourth down success rate, 23%, which I, I didn't think to look up what they were at last year, but I have to think, you know, that was one of the things that really bailed them out was, you know, they were, they weren't always the most efficient team on first and second downs, but they managed to make up for that by converting an unusual amount of third downs. So yeah, I, I think that's something that sort of gets overlooked. And I, I just think that, you know, compare, okay. So I did find the number from last year. This was before the LA bowl. So I just want to put this out there. So last year on offense, I just mentioned they were 23% right now. Last year on offense, third and down, third and fourth down success rate, they were 46.9%. So their their success rate on third and fourth downs has basically been cut in half. That is a massive regression. Yeah. Which is not to say that they can't turn it around and maybe you know claw their way back to you know whatever mean exists, let's say. But I just don't know that there's enough evidence to suggest that they will, you know, like, you know, through three games, they're only converting 23.4% of their third downs, 11 of 47. It just has not been a strength of theirs. And there's really like not one thing that you can pin it on. They just have not been a very good offense this year. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, and it's, uh, I don't know what The Deal is. It's, I know they lost some talent, but it's, it's hard. Like, I can't, it's hard to pinpoint what exactly is the difference offensively? What it's like they're just not doing it, and it's like it's Let, not let's put it let's put it this way: like Logan Bonner last year, like Logan Bonner in particular. Since I think he, you know, if 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 you want to try and identify a primary culprit, I think if you look at what Bonner did last year on third downs in particular, he was basically the best quarterback in the Mountain West on third downs. Completed sixty-seven point five percent of his passes, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, rough. I'm, I don't have the math in front of me. I'm going to do that real quick. 9.3 yards per attempt on third down, which is absurd on third downs. So far this year, again, three games, 38% completion rate, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 5.7 yards per attempt. He had three interceptions over Weber State. It's not all on him, but if, but I think if you, if you're looking for an inflection point where this game could turn, it's going to be on quarterback performance on those money downs, because for as Bonner as good as Bonner was last year, he just has not had it in those same situations this year, and that is actually something that Doug Brumfeld through three games has actually done incredibly well, you know, in well, terms of like just raw in terms of just raw yardage. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you just a moment. All good. In terms of raw yardage, he has more third down yardage than any other quarterback in the conference so far. But I think more importantly, you know, he's 12 of 19, 63% completion rate, one touchdown, one interception. Like he's been way more successful on third downs than Bonner has been to this point. So I got a question. Okay. What did, what did you think? Like, the serious question. So, Coach Anderson saying he's fine, he's fine, he's healthy, he's good. He tore his ACL just in late December. That's not that long ago to come back and expect to be the guy nine months later. Mm-hmm. It's it's within the realm of possibility because he's out there. Wouldn't you, as a coach, it seems like because we've already seen like like Coach Anderson, like he's said he's he's one he's, he's an interesting guy because there is just a flash year where. It was not taken out of context, but kind of like when you only hear that snippet or read the snippet of him talking about the team meeting, remember, where they're thinking about, well, mm-hmm. people kind of want to be victims, but when he explains it, it's, it is took like a part of it, at, like they took that little snippet, mm-hmm. which doesn't look good, but he has stuff with his wife when she passed away. He won like a coach of the year for community service award. Then he blames the fans showing who their true colors are. He's kind of all over the place for his messaging a little bit, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. so and it is and this it's him saying during the press conference well maybe he'll get benched because he kept saying emphatically he's healthy he's 100 percent ready to go 
when you just want to give your quarterback some cover and say, well, maybe the knee's not right if he's playing this bad. Maybe we thought he seemed medically clear, but maybe there's still something kind of bothering him of him comfort level of trusting his repaired knee. Wouldn't that be the way the coach you would think would say it? If the if their quarterback who is really, 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 really good comes out and plays like a complete 180, wouldn't you wouldn't that be the message? Like, yeah, yeah, we say he's clear, but maybe there's still something going on mentally or him just not trusting the knee that's repaired, even though the doctor says it's good to go. Wouldn't you as a coach go that route and saying he's healthy and if he plays bad, he's out? I don't know. I just think that might be a better way to kind of protect the player they try to protect when they're booing and stuff too a couple weeks ago well okay so here here's the other thing though i mean other than a couple of nice performances from robert briggs yeah and really it boils down to one nice performance against uconn because you know briggs only had two carries against weaver state he hasn't really gotten much help from anybody else on the offense either yeah, you know, I'm not saying Junior's averaging. Yeah, he's so Tyler Jr. is averaging under four yards of carry, three point seven eight. Palate Makakona is averaging basically three yards of carry. So the the ground game hasn't been particularly good either. And it I, help, I just, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just I don't know what you point to if you're a Utah State fan to think to say this is a place where we definitively have an advantage because I don't think they have it on the offensive line. I thought that they might have coming into the year, but I think, you know, you know, despite the fact that in terms of like, you know, raw sacks allowed and and raw tackles for a loss allowed, you know, that is something by which Utah state has actually done fairly well to this point. Cause you know, three games, the Aggies have only allowed three sacks, you know, that's third in the conference. They only have, 12 tackles for loss allowed as well. That's second in the Mountain West. But I feel like that's the kind of thing that UNLV, for as strong as they have looked in the early season, could put the lie to that. Because UNLV, you know, the Rebels, I you know, I think one of my biggest concerns why I was sort of hedging my bets in the preseason was, okay, well, how are they going to be able to generate a pass rush without their two biggest stars? And they've really done it with sort of a team effort. And I would say in particular, the defensive line has been much better than I thought it would be. You know, 10 10 sacks so far, and Adam Plant Jr. is the only one that has more than one. He has two, but they have like nine different guys that have at least one, and one, two, three, four, five, six of them are defensive linemen. That's not something I would have anticipated coming into the year. Well, nobody anticipated you know they've been as good. But as they're they are getting either, two and one. But they're getting strong performances out of you know out of veterans like Eliela Hamare, uh, and they're also getting you know strong performances from you know up and comers like Basale Musa Muavesi, uh, Naki Pahina, guys like that. It's been sort of a group effort, and I feel like that's exactly the kind of thing that Utah, Utah State could struggle with in this game. Well, definitely. Like when you look what. Like they're not, they're already not playing great in offense. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at like what's allowed against them, they're second. I think we may have already mentioned, but their second in TFL is allowed at, um, or sorry, second best allowed. So never mind. I'm looking mm-hmm. at backwards. Sorry, CFB stats sorted the other way. So they're a sex. I was looking at TFL is allowed. They're actually not bad at that, but they're not moving the ball. So even that's even more weird, more different, a bad situation because if they're not 
if Tyler, if t- whatever the running back, Tyler Jr. back, they get Turner and Tyler <clears> from who I mixed up last year. If they're that good and TFLs allowed, it's like, okay, there's that. They're fine. They're not getting, they're not sacking Bonner or Legaw. So it's not like it's a protection issue. So can UNLV make that a problem for them this weekend? Maybe, but that's just kind of makes, I know we're talking heavy Utah State. We need to lean into the Rebels a bit, but looking at what the offensive line is allowing against the, for TFLs and sacks Utah State, they're not bad. They're actually pretty good. And so if maybe you if UNLV can crack through there, that may make, th- make, may make things even more worse for Utah State. But let me ask you this about Doug Brumfield. I know it's early, and I like to make sweeping generalizations sometimes, Matt, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to try to get you into Notre Dame UNLV last week. You're like, slow down. Not yet. Doug Brumfield's a pretty good quarterback, right? Is he doing good things? He's played well, yeah. I have yet because time restraints and whatnot, whatever. I've not done my QB rankings, which we'll see if I get to a point, some point this year. Is he the best quarterback in the conference right now? Which because Jack Kaner is hurt at the moment, or Jay Kaner, excuse me, is hurt at the moment. Would you put him right up there as one of the best QBs? Well, in terms of total offense, he's number one in the Mountain West, two hundred and ninety-seven yards per game. Okay, and includes his rushing on- yards. We should say yes. Yeah, on a per-play basis, he's also number one there as well. 7.9 yards per play. Leads a team so, in the conference and touchdowns, only one interception, barely behind Hayner and Millen for a passing percentage, just above 70%. So, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of what he's been able to accomplish in the first three games, I think, yeah, he's definitely in that conversation, even if it isn't like a, a clear-cut convincing case. You know, I think – if you want to grade on a curve with, you know, slightly softer competition than what Hainer has faced to this point, um, you know, I, I would allow that. Yeah. But I mean, again, he's done everything you could possibly ask him to do against, you know, one good defense and a pair of, of suspect ones. Let's put it that way. And so. And typically if rebels pass, with, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. So, I mean, with that in mind, I think it would be a shock if he did come out and, and, you know, and, and you know, offensive coordinator Nick Holes put a lot of faith in him to just keep doing what has made him so efficient, which is to, you know, you know, use his legs every so often and then just and you attack down the field, which was something that UNLV didn't really have a chance to do the last couple of years under Marcus Arroyo. But they have the weapons in place to be able to do that now. I think if you're Utah State and you're looking for one other saving grace, it's the fact that they have been pretty adept at continuing to create turnovers. Because like in terms of like turnover margin, they're only plus one on the season. But in terms of in terms of you know, takeaways created, you know, they have seven in three games, which I think is something to keep an eye on because that's one area where they do have an advantage over the Rebels. You know, the Rebels have four INTs. The Aggies, surprisingly enough, have six. So I think if they can force Brumfield into mistakes, you know, that I think is one of the things that they can give themselves a fighting chance with. But again, you know, if they do that, then they still have to prove like, okay, then you got to like, okay, maybe you get a short field. Then what happens? Because when they've been in the red zone, they haven't been all that good. You know, and they've only turned their red zone possessions into touchdowns, you know, three out of three out of seven times. Let's get let's go. I think we've talked a lot about this game. Let's go and score predictions because if we spend every game 30 minutes, it'll be for hours. Okay. 
it's it's a fascinating game and so oh one let, let really me okay one, one last thing real quick i'm looking fpi so rebels are fourth in s in fpi overall 91 behind boise air force fresno utah state's one, near the bottom 117 rebels at this point in the year 87.2 percent chance to get to be bowl eligible six wins mm-hmm. one in four chance to win the division only behind fresno state in the west so there's a couple of things to throw at you. Okay. So you want to know why it's fascinating? You want to know why this is a fascinating game? Give us another reason why. We haven't given enough reason. What's what, what else you got? Well, it also makes for a useful transition to some of the advanced metrics because SP plus sees this game as even. Interesting, interesting. Okay. 50% win probability for both sides, which I don't think I have ever seen before. <laughs> and and interestingly enough you know fe fei is not that much more clear-cut they actually favor the aggies by 1.3 and uh parker fleming his advanced stats preview on twitter at stats or war actually gives unlv a 60.64 percent win probability projected margin of about 23 to 19 yeah fpi gives rebel 64 and a half percent chance and a four point Basically, three point victory, three point two point, three point two margin of victory for the rebels, thirty three to twenty nine point eight. So, who do you get? Oh man, is it time to hop on the rebel train? Is that what we're doing here? You tell me. Utah State fans already hate me, anyways. UNLV thirty one, Utah State twenty one. I'm doing it. I think you're being too kind. What? Oh my goodness. Oh. What do you got? I honestly, I honestly think the Rebels are going to make a statement this Saturday. UNLV 45, Utah State 17. What? 45-17? I, I think they're going to go on the road. I think they're going to win this game going away. Wow. I just have not seen what I expected to see from Utah State this year. You're not wrong. And I know it's yeah, because there was some slight concern in the UConn game a little bit where they had that slowish start and slowly pulled away. But oh boy. All right. Let's I can talk about this game forever, but let's move on. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This one will be quick. New Mexico at some university from Baton Rouge called Louisiana State. <laughs> that's that's LSU to you. LSU, Coach Kelly's her current location as Roman sidelines. So this game is on. If you want to watch it, it's at five thirty uh, Mountain Time, six thirty Central, four thirty Pacific. It's on SEC Network Plus, which means if you subscribe to like a pay TV, 
just search up New Mexico or LSU because it's like the alternate channel. It's not the typical. Yeah. It also says uh, it says ESPN Plus on collegepressbox.com. So that's something yes. to keep in mind as well. Yeah. yeah. So and and on the plus, on the logo on the logo's game notes, it says SEC Network Plus, ESPN Plus. So there you go. Correct. So it's so if you're looking for SEC networks like for, for DirecTV, I ha- had before. It's typically right around ESPN, ESPN, all that stuff. The SEC Network Plus is way down the dial, like by your regional sports networks, typically. Like yeah. Six or seven, 600 something if you have like direct TV like I did. So just search your pay per TV provider. Basically, if you get SEC Network, you get it. Or hey, if you get that ESPN Plus, you can get it too. So it's right there. So it's a long explanation to say LSU is a giant 31 and a half point favorite over under 45. And I, New Mexico will be in a tough challenge. But here's what I want to see in this game because we're both going to pick LSU to win. I think if you want to look for a couple spots here and there, is that what I remember we maybe tweeted out or something, but isn't Rocky Long's defense there in like top 50 SP plus, somewhere in that range, 55? They're close. Yeah. They, well, they, they began the year in the preseason projections, they began the year 81st on defense. Right now, they are 55th. It's pretty good for a Lobo team that's usually been really bad. They're doing work. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're looking for angles in this game, you know, one, one thing that I think could make a difference, and I say could with like, Ooh, I, I wish there was like some kind of like asterisk or something that I could put on this. But, you know, LSU's top receiver, Kayshawn Booty, isn't actually going to play in this game. Correct. His girlfriend, his, his girlfriend I guess, is, is giving birth to their child. So congratulations to them. But, you know, considering what he was able to accomplish last year and what he's been able to do sort of in the early going this year, that might be kind of like dodging a bullet. You know, he hasn't quite blown up in the same way that he did in the first half of last year before you know, injuries derailed him. You know, only 10 catches for 93 yards. Mm-hmm. But I think that is one one less thing for the Lobo secondary have to worry about. Let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely. And I, but I think, you know, for, for what New Mexico is going to have to do, I think it's, it's really going to focus on how well they can contain Jaden Daniels. Because, you know, after that sort of messy opening loss to Florida State, you know, they bounced back big time against Southern, and then they had a pretty convincing win last week against Mississippi State as well. And Daniels has really done a lot of heavy lifting for that offense. You know, he's completing nearly 70% of his passes for one, six touchdowns, no interceptions. But he's also the team's leading rusher to this point, too. And he's averaging 6.4 yards per carry. So, uh, you know, if, if I'm Rocky Long and I'm everybody on that defense, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we know that he's going to have the ball in his hands on every play, and he's not going to be shy about calling his own number. So with that in mind, what are we going to try and do to stop him? Because I think LSU is not the kind of offense that is particularly explosive outside of booty. You know, they're, they're, I think their next leading receiver only has, you know, he's in Malik Neighbors, 14 catches, 199 yards, only 14 yards a catch. And a lot of that came on a 60-yard touchdown, I believe, that he had. I forget exactly when. So it's not like the Tigers have necessarily blown teams out of the water. Like, you know, they put together some effective work, but they aren't what you might call an elite offense. 
So if I'm New Mexico, I'm really looking for my secondary to have its best game yet, which again is a big ask considering there's going to be, you know, and an sort of an inevitable talent disparity between these two teams. But I do think that they are in a slightly better position than they were when you compare them to, you know, uh, they, they went to Texas A&M a little bit earlier in the season last year, I believe. Yeah, wasn't very good. I think yeah. this defense is in a better position to cause at least a couple more headaches. But again, it's it's going to be a big ask to to keep the Tigers contained for sixty minutes. I would say, you know, not only does the offense been has have they benefited from like outstanding field position, you know, in terms of uh, I can't be this can't be right. It must be right because Parker Fillion put it out there. They're number one <laughs> in field position. Their starting field position is the at the forty eight yard line. LSU. I don't know if that's a typo or not, but if it's not, that that's impressive. Midfield, but geez. even but even if it's not. You know, in terms of like, you know, expect points added on offense, they're 10th overall in the country. And I think New Mexico, their saving grace is then on defense. The Lobos are actually fifth in the country. So there, there might be something there where, especially if they can frustrate Daniels and, and create havoc in the same kind of way that they have, I would say for most of the season to this point, then I think they might have a chance. I think the bigger question is, is the offense going to find anything at all in this game? Because that's the side of the ball where they have really continued to scuffle more than I thought that they might. You know, it's an offense that through three games is still only averaging 4.47 yards per play, still just eighth in the conference. And I think unless Miles Kendrick has the game of his life and unless that, that ground game can keep from getting bottled up in the line of scrimmage, which again is a big ask because if LSU has anything, they've got dudes on defense. Yeah, they've got yep. you know PJ Ojulari is you know two and a half TFLs, one and a half sacks so far, uh, five passes defended as a defensive lineman. Um, you know, major burns, uh, you know, Jack one Roy, all of those guys up front. It's very easily the kind of thing where, you know, you might look at the drive chart afterwards and wonder whether why, how New Mexico ever got a first down against this defense. I think it could look like an uglier version of their game a couple of weeks ago against Boise State, where they just did not get anything going despite a valiant effort from the defense. And I, and I hate to say it, but that's probably the most likely scenario in this game. Yeah, this will be tough. I know Brian Kelly was saying how this is a unique defense, three three five. They did see it last week when they played um, with Zach Arnett's defense at Mississippi State. State. Yeah, so he's somewhat familiar. But Lobos do have some players. So this will be, and also what's no, no, it's so weird. This kind of goes back to Arizona State because Jaden Daniels came from there. How the heck was he not good at Arizona State outside of maybe half a year of his freshman season? He comes down to LSU and likes to complete seventy percent of his passes. So it's like. It's just weird that he goes – it could just be talent around him, but how another reason Herm Edwards kind of screwed things up there in, in Tempe with all the talent he had and whatever. It's just kind of a weird thing, and that's just name people are familiar with around here. But, I, yeah, that th- defense will be unique. And I don't know. It's going to be a tough – it's going to be not a close game regardless, but I, I do think with who they have in secondary, they might be able to make a couple plays. But it's 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 going to be uh, – 
I what I guess what we want to see is can the defense make some stops and see if they can actually step up and prove because they're a top half 50 50 percentile defense at 55 just above half because there's 131 mm-hmm. teams so i think they should have some success they'll probably just be a point where they get worn down and maybe they can hold field goals to touchdowns but i just want to see if the defense can make some plays offense kendrick miles is not doing very well it's barely completing any passes they do have an okay running game and i, I stress loosely okay when they kind of run the ball but there's no way this New Mexico offense is going to score any points against LSU. They might like if they get ten points, it might be generous. Yeah, I mean, if they do it, like they, like the one thing they absolutely cannot afford is turnovers, which they've been okay about it. Like they didn't have any turnover against Boise State. That wasn't the problem in that game. They did have a couple last week against UTEP, though, and I think you know the what the difference in that game was the defense. Was able to, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The defense was able to, you know, make up make up for those errors. But against LSU, you absolutely cannot afford something like that. No. So, what are the advanced numbers saying this one? So, uh, perhaps not surprisingly, SP Plus likes LSU by a lot. They give them a ninety-seven percent win probability, projected margin of thirty-three point three points. FBI also likes LSU by a lot. They favor them by 29. Parker Fleming at Stats of War. His advanced stats preview gives LSU a 99.19% win probability. Projected margin of about 37 to 3. So what do you think? Are they going to cover? Because it's what, 31 and a half points for the line? Over under is only 45. It's super low for that big of a spread. I don't think that they will. It's a lot of points. Like, I don't think LSU is going to like run away and drop 60 on this team. It's not I Michigan think it just, I, no, I just think it's going to be a lot, a lot tougher for the offense to get anything going. So I have LSU winning. I'm going to say, what, what's the, what's the spread? 31 and a half. I'm going to say 42 to six. Okay. Also, can we maybe to help New Mexico out have some special team issues again, some block punch or block field goals against this team? But that that Florida State ending would not go well at all for them. I'm going to go a little bit closer. I think it'll be, I'll go 34 10. All right. I think it'll be, it will will be convincing win, but it'll be just like a soul crushing defeat. All right. Next game, which, oh boy, who's going to watch the Hawaii, New Mexico State, Matt? Isn't this on Flow Sports TV? That is correct flowfootball.com do they give any free trials out <laughs> not that i'm aware of i think you have to show out good hard money and i didn't even look do you know how much it costs is it like a 10 bucks a month or something i thought it was like 20 dollars a month i don't know oh geez this is our apparently, run about okay, so apparently we're not so watching this game that's what we're saying here we'll follow the stats so according <laughs> to new mexico state's game notes they do mention too like if you're in that part of the country it is also on television at on Bally Sports Arizona and available for streaming on the Bally Sports app. So that's something to keep in mind as well. So if you're in Arizona where the game's not being played and neither team is from Arizona, you can watch the game. Is that what you're getting at? It also says it also says something about Comcast New Mexico, but I can't really speak to what that is because I don't live in New Mexico. <laughs> this might call for if a all else fails, if all else fails. Flow football, flo.com. This also the same way. If it's just hard to watch the game, I'm not watching the game. Sorry, guys. 
or 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 hope that there's a hero out there who will find a stream oh there's always heroes out there we'll figure it out but we'll let you know we'll have our game look at the game notes like if you're in the air and comcast uh new mexico let us know i'm betting it's i don't even know what that would be because it's not like a my tv situation no it's probably it's like some random i oh i bet i know what it is it's probably like channel one because years ago here in Utah, I did some color broadcasting for something. It was like Comcast Channel One or something. It's like almost like public access type deal channel number. So that might be mm-hmm. what it is. But where's Frank? Can Frank help us out from UNM to tell us how to watch the game? Yeah. He sometimes he, he listens sometimes, right? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I don't know. We'll see. All right. So let's get to the game itself. Um, Mexico, or sorry. I, yeah. I'm just saying he's from Mexico. Not that's Lobo. I made a mistake there. My bad. But who knows? He still might know some people. But Hawaii and Mexico State. New Mexico State is a home favorite, four and a half points. Game kicks, we should mention, six local time in Las Cruces, which I believe is 2 p.m. in Hawaii. Does that sound right? I Maybe. believe so, yes. 0-4 versus 1-3. These are literally like the two worst teams in college football, right? They're in the conversation. Them and UMass as well, UConn, the, the usual suspects. Yeah. So, so to put this in context, uh, New Mexico State, in terms of SP plus, is 130th. Hawaii is 128th. And there's 131 teams, right? <laughs> yeah. UMass is wedged between them, and uh, interestingly, Florida International is bringing up the rear. Not Charlotte. I, I thought it'd be Charlotte. No, Charlotte's in the uh, Charlotte's in the bottom ten. They're 122nd. Okay, close enough, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you follow Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter, the advanced stats for you for this game features a lot of red. Because <laughs> these teams are not, so bad. Not not a good sign for for sort of thinking about how what i mentioned earlier or, and it, or actually i think i might have mentioned it in in the part one of our preview for this week you know sometimes what i like to think about is okay what is the best unit on the field and in this game i have no idea because <laughs> the, the the stats preview doesn't really tell me much of anything about what which team is going to be able to seize the upper hand like you know in terms of offensive success rate and i think this this might be where you start thinking about this game dedrick parson Oh, yeah, he might be the star. He has been, given the circumstances, about as good as you could possibly ask him to be, which sounds strange given that he's well, he's only he's only run for 197 yards. He's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry, 3.86 to be particular. But he's had some opportunities against suspect defenses so far. Like he had the, you know, the big you know, scoring run to open the scoring against Vanderbilt in the season opener. And he had a pretty decent game last week against Duquesne, even despite the fact he only had 11 attempts. And I think what's been most surprising to me is he hasn't been as involved as a pass catcher as I thought he might be. But I think if you're looking for Hawaii's potential path to victory, I'm looking at their offensive success rate on the ground which is 44.3%. That's 44th nationally, which, you know, it seems fine, right? Conversely, on defense, New Mexico State's success rate in terms of defending the run is 48.1%. That's 114th nationally. So 
I think if if I'm in Timmy Chang and I'm Ian Shoemaker, I'm thinking about, okay, I know that we want to be a pass first offense. How can we tinker with our game? How can we tinker with our play calling in such a way that we can take that we can take advantage of this? Because New Mexico State has been absolutely pummeled on the ground so far. You know, it all you know it, they've only given up 4.7 yards per carry. But I think conversely, they've also given up 14 rushing touchdowns in four games against their toughest opponents against Minnesota and Wisconsin. Like they basically didn't have a chance. You know, they give up over five yards per carry in both of those games and 11 touchdowns in both of those. But I think if, if I'm Hawaii, I'm sort of looking at that disparity between those two games and what New Mexico State did against Nevada and UTEP, which interestingly enough, this is where you look at the game by game performance and really see something against the Wolfpack and against the Miners. They actually gave up under four yards per carry and and only three rushing touchdowns. They still lost both of those games, <laughs> yeah. but they lost those games by 11 and seven respectively instead of 38 and 59. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, if, if I'm Hawaii, that actually, you know what? I'm going to throw that. I'm going to throw, if I'm New Mexico State too, I am fully aware that Hawaii probably has a path that they can take advantage of that they can exploit. And if I'm New Mexico State, I'm doing everything in my power to prepare for that to stop Dedrick Parson in particular. And I think that that is going to be where a lot of this game hinges is whether or not Parson and and anybody else who gets a, a share of work in the backfield in this game whether they can get loose or not. I think that is going to go a long way in this matchup. Yeah, it's it's going to be, and also, I guess, with Hawaii, it's like, who's going to be quarterback? The depth chart still mentions Yellen or Schrager. So it's, I don't know if they're going to do that aspect, but I think you're right to hand it off to, uh, you know, the good old Parsons, see what he can do. That might be the difference of the game because, both these teams are so not good. I bet they'll be successful. Um, you'll probably we'll probably see awesome offensive plays, like doing good things on both sides of the ball, but just because the teams aren't good. Not that necessarily the play is good, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really no getting around it. Like some something is going to have to give. Because in yeah. terms of like points per drive, the Aggies are 127th nationally. Hawaii is 122nd on offense. Okay. In terms of available yards percentage, which we talked about earlier in part one, I'll bring it up again here. Aggies are 118th, and the Warriors are 124th. I think it's, I mean, I think it's going to be a matter, honestly, of of not only, you know, trying to get the ground game to have a big game. I think a lot is going to come down to which team can avoid killer mistakes the most, too, because that's really something that has plagued both sides, too. You know, Hawaii, to this point, has you know 10 giveaways which for for a young team that's still trying to figure these things out is an absolute killer and but i think if there's something they can look forward to it's that new mexico state has 12 take has 12 giveaways in four games and so i'm thinking you know if hawaii has another potential advantage here it's that you know one thing they've been able to do very well and i think especially more so against sort of uneven or maybe you know below average offenses the secondary has played a little bit better over the last couple weeks too 
you know, Malik Houseman, I think in particular, has been a real standout in that regard. He already has three interceptions on the year. You know, Panay Pavi, he had a pick six last week. So I'm thinking to myself, that might be something else to keep an eye on because, you know, both these teams have been mistake prone. But I think if Hawaii sees an opportunity to take the ball out of its quarterback's hands and put it into the hands of its ground game, I don't necessarily know that you can count on New Mexico State to do the same because I don't think that they have a Dedrick Parson on their roster. You know, they're the leading rusher so far this year. You know, or rather, I, I should say they have three guys, including their starting quarterback, Diego Pavia, who have you know between 28 and 31 carries so far this year. None of them have cleared four yards per carry. It's not good. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a mess. This is like probably prime so something has to committee break, you know I mean? viewing. Like something something, has to something is going to have to give. I, I mean, I, I honestly think it's going to come down to whether Hawaii can get the ball in Parsons' hands and whether they can avoid killer mistakes as, as frequent, you know, more frequently than New Mexico State can. So what do the advanced numbers say? Like who's actually favored from SP plus and stuff? So uh, Hawaii is a slight favorite by SP plus. Um, technically they are given a 50% win probability as well. Um, <laughs> but a 0.2 points between them. They are okay. also favored by FEI by a little bit more, 6.8 points altogether. Um Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview by contrast, favors New Mexico State. They give them a 63.12% win probability projected margin of 21 to 16. Okay. Uh, what's your, what's your, what do you say then? I mean, I, I recognize that Hawaii has been a mess. But I do think that they have at least a couple of things on New Mexico State. And I don't think that you could say the same thing about the Aggies against this Warriors team. So I, it's probably not going to be pretty. But I would take Hawaii to win outright. I'm going to say 24 to 23. You think they'll do it? That's, that's I think they will. Like I said, it, it may not be the prettiest game, but I don't think they're going to care if they head back to the Islands with, with another W. I was muted. You're taking apologies. a long time to think. You're taking a long time yeah. to think about this one. I, that I'll leave that in. I accidentally hit mute and I started talking. I'm like, wait, then it popped up. Says you're muted, dummy. Um, that's probably not the wrong response to think and think and think. Um, I just don't. I I'll go Hawaii. I'll do this. I think there'll be a lot of points scored. The over under is 53. I somehow think it's going to be Hawaii 38, New Mexico State 31. Interesting. So you think it's going to be the kind of shootout? I think because both teams are so bad, so they're going to break through eventually. It's I think you're more likely to have something go wrong on defense to score points than the defense coming up with a big plan thinking and stopping. Them. I, guess, I guess we'll find out. I know. I just I it's just a shot in the dark, honestly. Next game, one of the other major games looking forward this weekend. Wyoming going to BYU for the seventy fourth meeting. I want to say. ESPN two late kick eight fifteen local there in Provo probably kick at eight thirty because you know TV and all that. Mm-hmm. BYU is a three touchdown favorite, actually twenty one point five favorite, which seems like a lot of points. I get the sense that BYU is very beat up coming into this game. Am I wrong about that? You are not wrong, Matt, about that. 
So, so tell have, me more about that, because I know that you're closer to that action than I am. Yes, I'm quite close. Gunnar Romney, wide receiver, hasn't been seen at practice in who knows how long. It's weird because it's a not. It's been described as a non-football injury. Mm-hmm. So does that mean he stubbed his toe? Did he get in a car accident? Was there tripped on the stairs? As as for Puka Nakua, he's been kind of out there a little bit, and those are the top two receivers. And then also their best tight end, Dowd Holker, announced this week a surprise to their OC and everybody else that he'd decided to enter the transfer portal, <laughs> which is kind of weird because he's like, I want an opportunity to showcase my skills. I'm like, well, dude, you're the number one tight end on a team that throws the tight ends. I thought so Isaac Rick was the number one tight end. He's not healthy. He, he's, he might well, there be. You go. That's, part- that's another one, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's another yeah, injury. Like during BYU media day, I'm covering that stuff. Like I'm 70, 85%. We had talked to him two weeks later. I'm 80%. Like he got lower after three weeks of talking from media day. He had like an ankle thing. He literally said, I may not be ready, fully ready to the end of the season, like fully healthy. Well, I mean, number one by like stat wise, Dallin Holker, yeah, yeah. the top tight end, but they have good tight end. Like Isaac Rex is there too. And then the running game, which people, I knew this was happening. It's every team does. Oh, we're bringing in this power five transfer. Chris Brooks from Cal. Matt, do I have to remind you that Cal's offense hasn't been good in since like Marshawn Lynch was there essentially, right? A bit a while. Okay, so I thought that Chris Brooks would be a little better than he has shown so far in his defense. I did, I did too, not because of his ability, but because the offensive line has two legit number one or first round picks, I should say, NFL draft picks. He, I'm assuming you're referring to Blake Freeland and... Oh, crap. I forget his name. Um. The other Clark guy Barrington? who's just as good. Yeah, Barrington, yes. I'm like, wait, I know the name, but I, knew, I know Blake, I know Freeland all the time. Barrington, yes. Those are the two guys that are like fringe All-Americans, could be first round, top 100, top 65 picks, top 80 picks, NFL draft. Yeah, but I, and I, Brooks, people, Brooks is sort of an interesting case because, you know, his 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 per, his per carry number is, is pretty deceptive yeah. to this point. You know, all, one all big running year, play, and that's it. And the USF game, all that's the, all he's had so far. Yeah, on the year, it's 5.4 yards per carry. Very but that's because he averaged over 10 yards a carry against USF. In right. the last two weeks against Baylor and Oregon, he's been under three yards a carry. You know, real teams. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then so then here's, here's I think, the one – here's one big question that I think is going to determine a lot in how this game unfolds. Where on that spectrum do you think Wyoming's defense lies between – top 25 type teams in South Florida type teams. Well, they, they completely shut down air force. He was averaging over 500 yards per game on the ground. Essentially. I think it was something absurd and they shut them down to what one under, under 150, right? I believe so. Something pretty low. And so I know it's a different, different offense are facing against triple option compared to what BYU does or gets any team that doesn't run the option quite different. But if you could shut that shut that down, and BYU has like Lapini Katoa back there. Jaron Hall runs a little bit, but not really. Um, they're way better than USF. Like the deep, like do you have their SPF SP plus defensive numbers in front of you? For, for BYU? No, for Wyoming. Oh, for Wyoming. Uh, yeah, because you're talking about the second. defense. Yeah. So the so Wyoming defense right now, in terms of defensive SP plus, they are 71st nationally. What do you have there? Does it? I forget. Does it differentiate by rushing or passing? No, no, it's just sort of one lump number. That's what I thought. Okay, because right now in the conference they're sitting at 
giving up only 3.69 yards per game, which is really good. But when you kind of break it down beyond that, uh, it, it skews a little bit because here's, here's exactly what they did versus Air Force. 171, 4.28, which is fine. The Illinois game was really a gash, but since then Tulsa had 61 yards, Northern Colorado had 15 yards. I know that's a big difference, but I'm, I, I guarantee you it'll be somewhere like BYU's rushing tech's not that good. Like they're not moving the ball well when they do it themselves. So I don't see why there'd be an issue with Wyoming just being able to control or slow down. Like that three touchdown favorite is absurd. There's, I know we kind of written Wyoming off way too prematurely being dumb and overreaction stuff. That was kind of, I did that too. So I'm mm-hmm. completely at fault, but they're nowhere near as bad as they were after the Illinois game. Illinois is okay, but they let the OC kind of do a little bit better, move, move um, let Peasley throw the ball a bit more, but defensively Craig Bull and those guys are getting things together. And when you look at again, what BYU is doing on the ground, they do, they are capable of getting big plays, but this will be, Obviously, not as tough as Oregon, not as tough as Baylor, but it's miles ahead of South Florida. Like the defense is is good, as you pointed out. Like they're above average essentially overall. I just it's a, it's hard to compare from who's BYU played to Wyoming because Oregon and Baylor solid defense, USF not really, but BYU's rushing attack they're only averaging three point two seven yards per play in the ground. That's not good. It's actually honest, honest to goodness, bad. I'm like, it's not. It's so oh, man. I don't. I, the Russia attack was overblown and everything for like oh, Chris Books, Power Five guy. Oh, sorry, that's Notre Dame. My bad. I oh geez, I'm looking at four point eight per play. Sorry, my bad. So they're mm-hmm. a bit better Notre Dame, which that's the team we'll talk about later. But overall, it's all South Florida though. Eight point five yards per play, South Florida. Two point five, two point three in the Baylor Oregon game. They. And those two games, I know there's sack, sack yardage included, only 144 yards in those two games combined. They're not a good running team. And again, I repeat it. So like Chris Brooks, I'm like, well, we'll see. But he comes from freaking Cal. And Cal's offense isn't very good. And people expect just because he's a P5 guy, they brought this fullback from Stanford, Houston, Humali. I'm like, well, we bring a fullback. Who cares? They are I mean, relying think- upon Jaron Hall. And right now, they don't have the top two receivers in Clark. Um, or should be Chase Roberts was good versus Baylor. Nowhere to be found in Oregon. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if BYU tried to establish the run in this game to take some of the pressure off of Paul, because we yeah. because you mentioned like the the kind of talent that the Cougars still have on their offensive line, mm-hmm. and really so good. I think that it's going to be a really big test for this Cowboys defensive line, which you know through four games has played pretty well as a unit. Like I think, you know, they're you know, like depth was a concern in the early part of the season, but you know, it basically everybody that was expected to contribute has really stepped up so far. Like, you know, they have 18 tackles for loss as a team, but I think it's really instructive that, you know, even if they don't have like one guy who has really sort of stood out, you know, we'll say Omatosho, for instance, has three TFLs. So does Devon Harris. You know, Jordan Bertignall in the middle has two TFLs. So does Cole Godbout. They've been getting help from the linebackers behind them, too. Shea Suiyanoa has four TFLs. Easton Gibbs has two. So I'm really interested to see, you know, how they attack that offensive line, how they frustrate that Cougars running game. Because I think if they can put the game in Hall's hands, I, I think given what the secondary has been able to do over the last couple of weeks, 
I think they can feel good about their chances to make some noise and, and, and do some damage. And maybe if they're if they're fortunate enough to create some opportunities, create some turnovers for themselves. Yeah, looking at TFL as allowed, BYU is okay. They're, they've given up 41, which is tied for 46 in the country. So like a top 30 mm-hmm. team and TFL is allowed, which it can, it's not always the offensive line's fault why there's TFL running back in sidestep or try to do, spin out of something. But it's if you have that good offensive line, you protect Dean Hall reasonably well because their stacks allowed here. Let me pull up. I'm pretty sure I know the number, but I'm going to double check. Mm-hmm. They're sitting at same same area top. They're only getting four sacks a year, so getting a hand on Hall is going to be difficult. Like getting guys behind on the scrimmage is reasonably difficult. It's not impossible because they're a top third team in the country. But if you're that good and Billy is protecting Hall and not allowing guys in the backfield, the running game should be better. That just means the running guys aren't finding holes and knowing where to go, or they're getting stopped for very short gains. Mm-hmm. So there are chances for Wyoming to make plays against BYU, and. This game, it's going to be closer than 21 points. I'm telling you, Wyoming's gotten so much better the past couple weeks, and they're also be hyped up because they don't like BYU, even though they rarely play each other. Because AD Tom Berman's like he was saying the other day, like, oh, we were he's because he's one of the still few ADs who's been around since um, when BYU left, obviously. Like the Mount, it's like San Diego State. Those guys, we're never playing them again. They play them in the bowl game. Like, well, who cares? We're gonna play them. It's fun. It's good. It's good to play. Uh, even though BYU doesn't reciprocate really the rivalry thing. I know there's the Black Eleven things, Black Eleven, whatever it's called for the uh, African American yeah, players. Yeah, that Black Thirteen that actually. Done. Oh, Black Thirteen. Sorry, but those type of things where it's like it's not it's not good. They have blood, bad blood between both sides, and so. I just wondering one thing too. Like, let's go to Andrew Pease. Let's look when we're look. Let's look at something before we're doing just the other previews throughout this tonight. Have you seen how many times Andrew Peasley's thrown the ball? More than you would expect, right? Yeah, yeah. He is only behind Jake Hayner. And Hayner, I know Hayner missed what two quarters in the USC game get rid of the ankle injury, but he has 103 passes since that first game where we basically written them off as not a good quarterback. He's five of twenty. Like you brought up the stat out, I think the past couple of shows outside of the opener, they've been above what 55% for a while. He's been above 60. His worst game was Northern Colorado. He's gotten 66%, 63%, 78% for his Air Force. Yeah, the yardage isn't quite there. Yards per attempt isn't amazing, but he's still doing quite well overall. I think it's instructive though to look at it on a per-game basis, too, because he has played one more game than Hayner, he's still only throwing the ball 25 times a game. Yeah, I get it. But, I mean, he's also completing more, too. There's that as well. Yeah. Because he's gotten 20, and then it went to 30, 30, 23. So that's a pretty sizable increase. But it also shows Craig Bowles letting the OC do his own thing. It's like we talked about before about these teams who are so into it on one side of the ball. It's like, let your other coordinator just take over and do something. And just worry about the team itself and give them the range to their play calling and side of the ball. Like if you're an offensive coach, let defense do it, defense, offense, vice versa, obviously. I think that's kind of what they're doing, opening things up a bit. Like, okay, we know what our defense can do, but maybe we need to throw the ball a bit more. And that's a that's a thing what they're doing. And they're re, they're being clearly successful at it. Touchdowns could be nicer to be higher, but only one interception in the past three games completing well over 65% of their passes past three games. In the past three games, he's thrown 83 times, like 25 a game, just about. You think more broadly, they're catching BYU at a really good time because, you know, we talked about the injuries on offense. Mm -hmm. 
But the Cougars are also dealing with injuries on their defense as well. You know, Tyler Batty missed last week, and I think you know his status is still sort of up in the air for this game. Mariner missed the game. Caleb Hayes got a you know left the game last week against Oregon with I guess concussion like symptoms. Correct. So I think if I'm Wyoming, like I'm not looking to do anything that's that much different from what I usually do. I'm just looking to take care of the football and and just sort of matriculate down the field to to sort of borrow to borrow that term um, from what's his name whose name escapes me. Um, Chris Chris Berman. No, no, no. It's uh, the former Kansas City Chiefs head coach. His name escapes me. Oh, I can Hank Stram. Oh, Hank Stram. Hank Stram. I, Stram. I know Chris Berman said it a million times too, so he probably got it from Hank Stram. Yeah. But I think that the one big difference in this game that Wyoming absolutely has to do to win this game on the road. I'm going to put this out there. Okay. Dude. Right now, in terms of in terms of total red zone conversions, Ooh. Wyoming has gotten points on okay, so 11 of their 12 trips into the ends into the red zone. 91.7%. That's second to the Mountain West. Solid. However, <laughs> I know where you're going. Bring it. I know exactly what this is. They have just four touchdowns in those 12 trips. And, and that 33.3% is tied for last in the conference. There's you cannot afford to settle for field goals on the road if you're looking to upset a team like BYU. You have to find a way to be aggressive and punch it in. You have to be willing to roll the dice a little bit and go out on your shield if you're going to survive in this game. Um, hold on a second. I'm doing a, I'm doing a quick command F here. But you know what also the situation is? Um, wait, this red zone. So red, red zone conversion overall. Well, I mean, yeah. actually, well, like you mentioned, 38th overall total score scoring, not touchdown or, or field goal. BYU is 113th red zone conversion rate in any to- any point, Matt, at all. They're only 69.23% in scoring. So I'm sorting the strong way here. But Jake Oldridge, who's usually been a pretty reliable kicker, has not been very not been very good. They've only been in the red zone 13 times this year. One that's one fewer than um Wyoming. But they are actually 46% TD and 30, there should be 23% field goals. Mm-hmm. So they are, once you get close, they are, BYU is not good. They are near the bottom of most of these categories. Like they are not good. The, I know Wyoming technically is number one in field goals in red zone. Is that a, is that a good thing, Matt, or no? To be number not one. Not trying to spring goals. road upsets. No. No. You, can, you yeah. can get away with it against Northern Colorado, and you could probably get away with it against like while against Air Force, but I don't think you can on the road against a team like BYU. Yeah, but it's true. But BYU is also the same way, where they are not good at getting touchdowns. They're mm-hmm. 112th in touchdown red zone percentage. So I, only- I guess we'll find out. So here's my point. Every every advantage number like that, like FPI has 91%, 92% change for BYU. Uh, average score 35.9 to 14.4 21 and a half point line over unders okay at 50 what do your advanced numbers say fei and all those guys so they all favor byu by varying degrees uh sp plus likes the cougars by uh 22.4 90 percent win probability fei likes them by just 11.3 
And Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Cougars a 95.46% win probability, projected margin of about 33 to 9. Okay. So what do you think? So what do you... After talking doing stuff, I wanna I, I kind of want to say Wyoming's gonna win, but I know that's foolish, right? I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be the only person on our staff that thinks Wyoming could win this game. Outside of Wyoming guys? Uh, <laughs> just I mean, I, I think they can win this game. I just, I don't know if they will. I think it's going to be a lot closer than three touchdowns. I, that's I've actually made a couple of wagers to make it better than three touchdowns in favor of Wyoming. But I do think BYU will be able to hold serve at home. I've got them winning, I'm going to say 34 to 17. So still a sizable victory. Yeah. I'm going to go a little bit closer. I'm going to go 31 21 for BYU. All right, then. I just, I just think there's the numbers don't line up to what the game should be for that big of a difference. For all the injuries BYU has, for players leaving the program, for yeah, for the way Wyoming's been trending in the right direction, I just think 21 and a half is way too much. But it'll be closer than people think in a game worth watching late at night. All right, final game of the weekend. Western Michigan at San Jose State. Spartans are a touchdown home favorite. Awesome. CBS Sports Network, 7.30 Pacific time, playing the Broncos of Western Michigan out of the MAC. And they are sitting at currently, what are they, one and two with their one win over Ball State. They lost to Michigan State, 35-13. Pitt, 34-13, two teams that were ranked at the time. And I think Michigan State's still ranked. But looking at what Western Michigan does, actually, no, stick with San Jose State. So they were off last week because they had their mm-hmm. weird early bye week, which is, I don't like that, but that's what they have to deal with. And they didn't play a week zero game either. Um, I think what I see with San Jose State, I, it's always the same thing the past couple of years a little bit. Kyrie Robertson, the running game going, Shavon Cordero are going to be more accurate. Accurate. They have the talent because they nearly upset Auburn 24-16. And Auburn's not a great team, but they have proven – I want to say improve it more because that Portland State game still has a little lingering uh, scar tissue. Not a fan of how that ended because it's way too close. It's way closer than it should have been. But I think Western Michigan, hopefully they kind of figured things out because if they played like the difference Portland State and Auburn, they would have lost by like three touchdowns. They did not. So I want to, I just want to kind of see them shore it up. And one of the main things I want to see, if they can get their running game going, the West Division's wide open, man. If they get Kyrie Robertson doing well, and then Cordero gets going down to Isaiah Hamilton, those guys are – sorry, not Isaiah. That's an um, older shift, my bad. But if they get the running game going to Robertson there, that's going to open things up for – sorry, Elijah Cooks, that's what I was thinking of. That would be helpful because the running game, Robertson only – 59 yards they're not running the ball well if that's something they can improve upon against this western michigan defense then that'll obviously clearly open more things up because cordero maybe he'll matt maybe he'll get to 60 percent completion i don't know just a thought maybe we can dream can't we <laughs> now now see i'm going to take the opposite tack Ooh, okay. because i think the biggest key in this game is for it's going to be for the spartans defense to really reintroduce itself because yeah, I agree, yeah they held they held tough against Auburn for the most part, you know cl- close game only lost by eight points. 
but they haven't been as productive as I thought that they might be coming into this year. Like through two games, they're giving up, you know, 5.8 yards per play, only one sack, only seven TFLs. And granted, there's only two games so far, you know, in terms of like, you know, tackles for loss per game, uh, they're, they're 10th rather than dead last, you know, Air Force and Hawaii are below them on a per game basis in terms of tackles for loss. But I think, you know, now is going to be a really good opportunity for them to really reestablish themselves. Because as it turns out, Western Michigan is having a very hard time in this young season, replacing Caleb Ellaby at quarterback and replacing guys like Sky Moore at wide receiver. Because their they're, they're number one guy coming into the year, Corey Crooms, you know, last year he was a very dangerous deep threat. You know, last year he averaged over 17 yards a catch, had six touchdowns. He's leading the team in in receptions this year, 18 catches, but he, he's only averaging 9.4 yards per catch so far. He only has one touchdown, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that LB's replacement at QB, Jack Salapek, just has not gotten it done in the early season. Completion rate of only 53.6%, only 5.4 yards per attempt, one touchdown, four interceptions. If I'm San Jose State, I'm looking at that offensive situation because Western Michigan has continued to try and, and sort of be a balanced offense. Like they, they don't want to abandon the passing game, even despite the fact that they still do have a, a, a fairly dangerous running game. You know, they still have their running back tandem of Sean Tyler, Ladarius Jefferson, five rushing touchdowns between them. Uh, Jefferson's averaging four yards a carry. Tyler's averaging over five. But, you know, between the two of them last year, they were still a very potent duo. They had 19 touchdowns between the two of them and averaged well over five yards per carry. So there's still the opportunity that that, that ground game could go off. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if, the, if the Spartans' defense can get into the backfield and put Western Michigan into those sort of unenviable situations that... I would say for the most part, they've been facing all year long. They haven't really covered themselves in glory on third downs. You know, through three games, the Broncos are only converting 30% of their third downs, 14 of 46 overall. There's plenty of opportunity there for the Spartans defense, I think, to, to really assert itself and help the offense take control of this game. You think that's how it'll turn out possibly? It's really hard to say. But I think if you're if you're again if you're looking for a potential silver lining, you know one like for all of the scuffles that the Spartans have had in the first couple of games, mm-hmm. they're still the only team in the conference with zero giveaways, plus five overall in turnover margin, five takeaways in two games, which is not insignificant. You know one thing that has continued to tell you know, that the secondary has continued to play pretty well. Four interceptions in the first couple of games. They're they're getting it done. They're creating opportunities for themselves. The offense just needs to continue building upon it, and and and, and finding the end zone where they had to settle for field goals against Auburn, uh, in particular, a couple weeks ago. So I'm wondering, like, I think you're right. I think this could be a great defensive game, where not defensive game overall, but where Spartans defense could make some plays. Because mm-hmm. we want to see guys like Kyle Harmon only like only 15 tackles, tackle machine last year, like for Hoko, 
You have Trey Jenkins at safety leading team in tackles, which isn't ideal, but I want to see guys like Kate Hall have a big game. Like this is, I think this is a big chance where they can come out and shut down the Broncos who honestly aren't, aren't a great Mac team. And so that's what I kind of want to see. And then, like you said, if that goes well, that could open up the offense and maybe if they get a lead or something or quick short plays, they can actually use the running game to their advantage possibly and get going. Cause that's what I want to see too. The defensive running game to get better. And then, Cordero, we know what he is, but being a bit more accurate, I'll, I'll also be nice. But I think this is a game to see where you can see all three of those things take a step forward before the interconference play. And that's where I think this it's being a home helps too, even though it's not like San Jose has the best home field advantage at their home stadium, which is under construction forever, I guess. That's the plan they're working on there, the slow build in San Jose and the Bay Area. But I, I'm leaning pretty heavy to the Spartans to take care of business here. Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, there, there's opportunity on both sides of the ball here. You know, Western Michigan is not the same team that they were last year. Nope. New players, new stuff going around. So, yeah. So, what did the advanced numbers say for this one, then? Split decision, actually. Ooh, what? SB Plus does like San Jose State. They give them a 60% win probability, 4.6 point projected margin. Uh, FEI, by contrast, likes Western Michigan by 3.3. Uh, and Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives San Jose State a 63.43% win probability, projected margin of about 24 to 19. Okay. What's your projection and what's your kind of uh, gut feeling for this matchup here? I think San Jose State should be able to get a measure of revenge for last year's game. I think, you know, even if the offense doesn't necessarily fire on all cylinders, I do think the defense should be able to create enough turnovers. I, I think that they will probably win the turnover battle in this game. And it may be that one or two short fields is all it takes to sort of keep the Broncos at arm's length. So uh, what was the spread on this game again? It's a touchdown for Spartans. I think I would lay the points. I'll take the Spartans to win. I'm going to say 28 to 17. Okay. I think it'd be a little bit more. I'm going to go 30 to 13. All right, then. I, I just think it's a uh, Spartans offense, not quite what it was in 2020, but I think the defense take a step forward. But I think it'll be reasonably comfortable when 30 to 13, they'll be sitting at two, two and one before league play and 33% on their way to being the bowl eligible again. Anything else you'd add about these games from the weekend? I think we were pretty much all set. All right, we are good. MWR.com, part two of our week four previews. So if you miss, if you listen to this, go back and listen to part one. We'll be all over all weekend. We get, I think almost all of our previews are out. We'll have a couple of Q and A's I'm working on for, I guess, Friday, whenever you get to this, some other stuff, but yeah, thanks for listening. Subscribe, let people know like, Hey, these guys, I'll say this, man, here's the, here's the compliment I'll take. They sort of know what they're doing. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be okay if, if it's that, if that's what your um, expectation or what you tell everybody like hey they sort of know what they're doing with the mountain west so i'll take it but we'll be back next time next week or i guess not next week in a couple days to recap week four and yeah just hope you're i say it all the time let's just hope your team does well right exactly all right we'll see you next time